But guess what? We've got the victory. Amen. Everything's going to be all right. God's got it under control. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to cover another one of the Bible basics tonight. And uh, I'm hoping that you will be able to follow along. It is in the e-bulletin, I believe. Did you guys pull it up? Everybody's good? All right. It's in the e-bulletin, so if you have the e-bulletin, the app, you can pull that up and follow along as well. But First Peter chapter 1, and we will read verses 13 through 16. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. I want to talk to you for the next few moments uh, tonight on this subject, a call to holiness. A call to holiness. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what uh, you are doing in our hearts and lives and drawing us closer to you. We thank you, God, uh, for your hand of provision on our families and for this church and for our community, God, and what you are getting ready to do. And God, we pray that you'd move in a special way in our hearts and lives tonight as we open up, God, and we respond to you and what you are doing through your word in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody say amen. 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 You can be seated. There is a great responsibility, I believe, to teach and preach holiness in the day and age that we live in because it's got to be a high priority. And I think that really for a church or for people who uh, call ourselves Christian or call ourselves apostolic, uh, call ourselves you know, righteous, whatever, you, you, you know, whatever term it is that you like to use, I'm a believer, whatever, uh, we've got to hear God's call to holiness. It's one of those things we shouldn't ignore. Our culture is, is really changing uh, dramatically. It seems like every day that, uh, you know, it, it's so dramatic that you can almost lose your way unless there's a willingness to find your bearings in the Scriptures. And uh, we can only do this through a clear understanding of God's Word and having a relationship with God through prayer and constant communication with Him. Uh, if we let that communication slide and we, we're not communicating with God and we're not in His Word, uh, it's going to be very easy for us to slide away from holiness. Amen? This is not, I know this is not one of those topics that makes you want to swing from the rafters, but can I tell you that without holiness, no one will see God? So that's a pretty important topic that we need to cover tonight. Amen? I don't want you to miss out on seeing God because your pastor didn't cover Anyways, amen. There's a story that was told about an elderly woman. She was pulled over by a state trooper on the interstate, and uh, the trooper got up to the car. He told the lady, he said, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. And she wondered why he'd be giving her a ticket because she said that she was so meticulous about the posted speed limit signs. And he told her that the, the speed limits on the interstate that she was driving, you know, she was, uh, there, there were speed limits and she had to abide by them. And and she was only driving 20 miles an hour, which was too slow. She had to drive at least 45 miles per hour. I'm not talking about you, Sister Cooper. Don't think I... I'm not talking about you. 
This, is, this story was not written about Sister Cooper, I promise you. She was on the interstate driving 20, and the, the, uh, the state trooper told her, you've got to drive at least 45 miles an hour. It, it's a minimum of 45 miles an hour. So she assured him that uh, she had just noticed a sign. She said that sign back there just said 20 on it. And he kindly told her that it was Interstate 20, and that was simply just a road number. That was not the speed limit. As he was explaining this, he had already noticed a woman who appeared to be paralyzed in the passenger seat. Her hands were seemingly glued to the dashboard. Eyes wide in fright, she had this twisted look on her face. And the trooper, uh, being concerned for her health, asked the, the driver, he said, does that lady need medical attention? And the driver just kind of replied back to him, and the uh, lady told him, said, she's probably in a state of shock because of my driving patterns. And, and uh, the uh, state trooper said, oh, oh, really? And the driver said, yeah, now I know what's wrong with her. So I just turned off of State Highway 121 before I got on Interstate 20. <laughs> That's probably why. And our world is changing just like that. Uh, however, I think what we need to understand is according to the Word of God, we, we see that God's standards never change. And, you know, what He called for in the first century... Uh, he's still calling for in the 21st century, and, and there's, you know, some things that, that please God and some things that are not pleasing to God. There, there are a few, and I've included these in the e-bulletin for you, but a few general quotes people have uh, kind of tried to help simplify holiness. And Tyron Edwards said, a holy life is not an ascetic or gloomy or solitary life, but a life regulated by divine truth and faithful in Christian duty. It is living above the world while we are still in it. Carlo Corretto said, The world and the cross do not get along too well together. And comfort and holiness do not share the same room. Leighton said, A holy life is a voice. It speaks when the tongue is silent and is either a constant attraction or a perpetual reproof. It's kind of interesting, and I think whenever you look not just at what people have said, but just take a look through the New Testament, and it will reveal a, a list of unique commands and specific calls for personal holiness. 1 Peter 2.11, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Romans 8.13, mortify the deeds of the body, or put to death the deeds of the body. Uh, Romans 13, 14, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 2 Timothy 2, 22, flee also youthful lusts. Ephesians 4, 22, put off the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Ephesians 4, 24, put on the new man. Gives us instruction, not just put off the old man, but putting on the new man. And then Philippians 4.8 tells us to think on these things. That means think on the right things. Think on the pure things, the, the, the lovely things, the, the things that are pleasing to God. Uh, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means you're not supposed to just have it head knowledge, but it's supposed to be flowing through your life. Ephesians 6.14, stand, having on the breastplate of righteousness. That means I'm seeking to please God with my emotions and with everything that I do. 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. 
You don't hear a lot of preachers preach about that anymore. Amen? It seems like that's kind of gone to the wayside. We, we don't talk about that. Romans 12.1, present your bodies a living sacrifice. James 1.21, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word. 2 Corinthians 7.1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. 1 Peter 2, 1, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. In this text from 1 Peter, we, we're seeing a cross-reference from the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 11, verse 44, chapter 19, verse 2, and also chapter 20, verse 7. And despite the fact that the world wants to kind of mock it, Holiness is still a priority to God. And I know there's a lot of churches, and, and that's probably the, the thing that bugs me the most, is there's an underlying hint of hostility that comes from even inside the church whenever you say, we're going to talk about holiness. we we, we got to get to the message of holiness, the call to holiness of what, what God wants from us and you know, our desires to please Him and our our, 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 uh, you know, our, our goal, our aim is to make Him happy. And it's sad, and I think um, you know, there are people that call themselves Christian who don't want to be troubled by certain specific uh, d- directives towards being holy. They're like, well, you know, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm, I'm saved from hell, and uh, everything's good. But you know, there are certain aspects of my life I don't really feel like I need to turn over to Him. If you go online to places that sell Christian books and you look at the bestsellers in the Christian market and you, you see the rankings and the, the ratings, most of those books you'll find they're oriented toward financial responsibility, healing emotional hurts, managing negative emotions, gaining acceptance in the world by not being so different or dogmatic in our views and our beliefs, and last and maybe the largest genre is those of fulfilling dreams with God's help. You'll be hard-pressed to find any books on how to be holy. You'll be really hard-pressed to find any on how to separate myself from the world. There are some books on prayer, but it's usually how to pray to obtain the things we want, not get our flesh to line up with the Spirit of God. And you will definitely hardly ever find any books on cross-bearing and sacrifice. That's, the, I think, the real challenge of our time. Finding an atmosphere that encourages us to develop in holiness. Finding a a situation that helps us to say, you know what, I want to become more like God. I want to please God more than anything else in this whole world. I think it's hard to find that kind of an environment. And so I would challenge you that you are going to have to seek out places that encourage your mind and your heart to to pursue that higher level of communion with God, not a lower level. Not just just enough to skate by and make it to heaven. But you're going to have to find that environment that says, well, whatever it takes, I want to go further with God. I want to be higher with Him. I, I want to uh, respond to His call to holiness. And I don't know if you realize this, but I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility for accountability in my personal life uh, to this church. First, you know, one of, That's one of the first things that you, you will notice 
uh, if I'm being a jerk on the outside, you know, <laughs> you're going to find out about it pretty quick. You know, they'll, they'll post on social media. There will be people who say, oh, I can't stand that church. I can't stand that pastor. What's wrong with that? Why? Because uh, I, have a, I have a responsibility of accountability to you. I also have a responsibility of accountability to my wife, to my children, to my parents, to my in-laws, you know, uh, any one of them. If they see me being one way in the church and another way out of the church, I'm accountable to them. They could say, hey, what's wrong with you? You know, you're you're living a double standard here. Furthermore, you know, while my children may not challenge me as much on it, I'll be leading them astray if I'm not accountable to live the same way inside as I do outside of the church. But the priority of holiness is ultimately accountability to God. For, for each and every one of us, you know, I, I, and I've, I've had uh, looked at this several ways. There was a, a pastor that said one time, his, his 30-year-old son said to him, Dad, don't mess up now. This pastor had lived uh, a lifelong, you know, under this mantle of uh, faithful responsibility, but Satan is deceptive. Satan can derail and uh, get out of sorts those who are not aware and vigilant. And this man's son was encouraging his father to live out a life of godliness even to his grave. you got to understand that the priority of holiness becomes much higher the longer that we live. You'll discover, I think, I have, that the greatest battlefield for holiness is on the inside. You have to fight the battle within before you will ever win the battle on the outside. Holiness is not a cultural battle. Although our world does not promote holiness in any form. Holiness is not a political battle. We're realizing our nation can no longer be cast as a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian society. Holiness is not a denominational battle as we have noted that Facebook has blown the cover of those who have professed but never really possessed God in their lives. Holiness is not a form of behavior modification for our lives. It is a priority of pursuing God and making Him the very center of our life. So what is it? It's the battle. (laughs) The battle for a life of personal holiness comes from within the heart of man. He is and has to be determined to pursue and to seek after a holy relationship with God for himself. Not not because somebody is watching, not because it's what the church expects, not because uh, those are the guidelines or those are the rules. It has got to be, I want to please God. Paul talked a lot about the conscience, and I want to read just a few verses here uh, We'll read one from the King James, and then I'll read the same in a, in a different translation. But 2 Corinthians 1.12, it says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by grace of God, by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you word. This is... The first time, not, one of the, not the first time, but one of the first times or one of the only really clear times that we hear this so plainly from 2 Corinthians, it introduces us to the word conscience. Everybody say conscience. So 
you have to win the battle for holiness where? On the inside. Um, if you do not win the battle on the inside, you will lose the battle on the outside. People don't just, you know, win the battle on the inside and then lose it on the outside. No, if you win it on the inside, you win it on the outside. And so, uh, this is, this is the, the thing that we have to get is the stronger our conscience is, the more productive we will be in the battle for holiness in our life. This is how that reads in uh, another translation. It says, my proud boast, this is Paul speaking, my proud boast is the testimony of my conscience that holiness and godly sincerity, not worldly cunning, but the grace of God, have marked my conduct in the outside world, and in particular, my relations with you. John Owen says, let not that man think he makes any progress in holiness while he walks not over the bellies of his lusts. If you want to kill sin, load your conscience with the guilt of it. Thomas Watson said, it is better to be a pattern of holiness than a partner in wickedness. It is better to go to heaven with a few men than to hell in the crowd. We must walk in an opposite course to the men of the world. And this is such a powerful statement. And, and I, if you could remember nothing else from this night and from a call to holiness, I wish you'd just remember that statement. It is better to go to heaven with a few than to hell in a crowd. Our conscience is our God-given gift. We must carefully consider and cultivate that our conscience is what God has placed inside of us. And far too many people, they play and they, uh, they, they mock their conscience until it is so sickly that it cannot protest their wrongdoings. In 1984, many of you probably have heard this, some of you before your time I know, uh, but it is a historical uh, fact that in 1984, a Boeing 707 crashed into the side of a mountain in Spain. The black box flight recorder uh, brought this amazing discovery. Several minutes before the airliner crashed, uh, the flight recorder captured the voice of an electronic warning that was given to the pilots. The message was to adjust the flight pattern due to an obstacle uh, in the flight path. And this alarm continued to, to go off until the pilot finally ordered it to be turned off. The warning was silenced, and all the lives on that uh, Boeing 707 were lost. But this is, this is how far too many people treat their conscience anymore. They turn off the information, and they, they make a wreck of their soul. There's no way around the warnings that the conscience gives to us. We know, we hear these warnings, and, and sometimes at the end of my sermons, I'll say that. I'll say, you know, you're, you're, you're preaching to yourself right now. I'm saying that your conscience is, is preaching to you. It's telling you. It's convicting you. It's dealing with you about what you need to know. But there's no way around those warnings. You know, you, you can tell me all day long, Pastor, I'm good, everything's good, but your conscience will tell you whether you're good or not. And so if you ignore it, you will hit the mountain. If you shut it off, you will slam into disaster in your life. There's no way around it. Some of us, we've slammed into disaster before, and, and we, we knew better now, and we're, we're, we're heading for another mountain in our conscience and saying, stop, stop, avert, you know, divert your, your, your path and, and change your ways. And, and we're like, you know what, I, I'm not going to listen. 
I don't want to hear it. That's what our conscience is there for. Have you ever looked into the, the, the deal with um, leprosy? Anybody ever looked into leprosy? You probably have heard preachers preach about it. We don't talk about it a lot anymore. It was kind of one of those Bible day diseases, and everybody's like, yeah, well, we don't have leprosy anymore. Well, let me tell you what leprosy was like. It was the nerve endings that, you know, in your body would become so desensitized. You, you would get to a place of being so desensitized, you couldn't feel anything. And so limbs are injured, and they were destroyed because pain is no longer felt. My son was moving some boxes today. He said, Dad, I ran my hand into the corner of something. He said, now every time I squeeze my hand, it hurts. And I wanted to say, well, good. <laughs> That's a good thing. Pain is good. Let you know, you know, my hand still works, you know. I'm dealing with this stuff. Uh, some of us, we're less and less thankful for pain the older we get. But pain is actually given to us by God to help us know what not to do again. <laughs> and sometimes it's given to us to help us get stronger. No pain, no... Yeah. Paul wrote to the Romans about the matter of our conscience in Romans 2, uh, verses 14 and 15. He said, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. You don't have to tell a child not to murder somebody. Their conscience does it. I mean, there are certain things that you have to tell them and you have to teach them and train them, but there are certain things that are just built into our conscience. My conscience either indicts me or it exonerates me. <laughs> it, it, it accuses me or it excuses me. Conscience is the soul's warning system. It works best when it's been filled with the Spirit and it's read up in the Word. The Greeks understood that they had this, this goddess that was, you know, they, they kind of understood the conscience as a goddess. The, the Greeks did that with a lot of things. They were very, you know, uh, into their gods and goddesses. But they had this goddess, and her name was Nemesis. And she is the personification of morality, and she is also one of the ones who is responsible for vengeance. And she is determined by, uh, she's going to pursue every lawbreaker who has ever transgressed the law. That was the, their thinking of Nemesis. And there's a painting, and I put it uh, into the thing, I, there, there, he put it up on the screen for you. Uh, but there's a painting by Alfred Rethel that has managed to be preserved over the years. In this picture, there's a man who's running terrified in fear, and a thousand sins that he has committed in his lifetime are pursuing him with the force of a gale wind, but his eyes are bulging with terror as he flees. Above all the sins that are pursuing him is Nemesis, and she is flying with a flashing sword lifted in her hand, ready to strike him dead, and that's what the Greeks understood. That's your conscience. You can get away from a lot of things in life, but one thing you will never get away from is your conscience. Well, I don't have to listen to the preacher. I just won't go to that church. I just won't read that in the Word. But guess what? Your conscience will still pursue you. This is how the conscience works. It, it's kind of got a bully function in our lives. <laughs> and some of you are like, well, I don't like bullies. I know. 
Me either. But the conscience is awakened by a low living and spiritual lukewarmness in our lives. It can be the most relentless, disturbing enemy of the sinning soul, or it can be your truest and best friend and comforter. That's the power of the holy heart. That's the power of a clean conscience that has been touched by God. Holiness doesn't begin on the outside. That's what some people think. Well, I can't go to that church because, you know, they just, they got all these things. Holiness begins with the heart. As I said before, it starts on the inside. The pursuit of holiness is not the fixing of the outside, but to pursue God. And the closer that we get to God, the more we allow God to transform us. When we look at a sinful society, the evidence of a sinful society, a sinful church, and sinful leaders is due to the faulty functioning of the conscience. I think we've gotten it backwards. The conscience has gotten so sick that we have redefined sin. Look at our society. Most people in our society, they think of themselves as imperfect and in need of improvement, but they never think of themselves as sinners in need of forgiveness and redemption. I've, I've talked about it before. Sometimes we view ourselves as mistakers. Well, I just made a mistake. It was just a mistake. Well, if we're mistakers, guess what? We can get better. We can do this, right? You know, I'm just, I'm going to do better. But if we're sinners, we need a Savior. If we're sinners, we, we need the grace of God active in our life. So we have things like disease and antisocial behavior and a lack of moral development. That's what people call sin. Homosexuality and alternate lifestyles have now been given a pass. And now those who oppose the sin of homosexuality, we're considered homophobic. It's now very common to hear of people having an affair, not committing adultery. We won't say that. No, they just had an affair. Personal choice is now what we try to achieve instead of the approval of God. Do what makes you happy. You know, you, you be you, right? How many of you have heard that? You be you, you know? Just you do you. It's okay. That's, you know, that's just not who I am. Well, guess what? If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then you're not seeking His approval. Conscience has been built into all of our souls, both the converted and the unconverted. But the conscience is a part of our fallen nature because of sin and it cannot function properly if we don't have the Holy Spirit. So, because it was flawed by the curse of sin, it needs to be transformed by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. That's what the Scripture tells us. It will certainly have the, the capacity to those who will listen, change your flight pattern. Change your flight pattern. There's an obstacle ahead, but when it can no longer lead us into holiness and we push away from holiness, can I just be honest with you, your conscience has been compromised. The conscience, it, it kind of functions, I don't know if you can think of this, think of this with me, but it kind of functions as like a skylight in a home. It doesn't produce its own light. It has, it has to have the right source of light that passes through it. For a saint of God, this light can only come from the Word of God. That's why some people, their skylight, you know, this, the Scripture talks about if the whole body be dark, it's because the eye was dark. It's because that, that skylight was only 
getting darkness. It wasn't getting light. But when we shed the light of God's Word, we bring the light of God's Word, uh, we, we, we have that skylight that, that shines into our conscience, and it's a godly conscience that is fully informed by the truth of Scripture. Psalm 119.11 says, uh, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. If I've got the light coming in, it's going to help me know, and it's going to illuminate my conscience to be able to know that's right, that's not right. All through Psalm 119, the law of God is listed in very descriptive ways as testimonies, as precepts, as statutes, as commandments, as righteous judgments. It is our delight. The scriptures are our counselors. So consider this reoccurring theme in Psalm 119. This is the reoccurring theme. If you read all of Psalm 119, you'll find in God's mercy and his kindness, he has afflicted me. In His mercy and kindness, He has afflicted me. Why does He do that? To draw me back into the ways of God. Why does He let my conscience convict me? Because He wants to bring me back to Him. He's not doing it to be mean. He's not doing it to be rude. He's doing it to bring me back to Him. A fully engaged conscience has got to be our top priority. A fully engaged conscience will say, I want to worship God. I want my life to please God. Any church, I think, and, and this is what some churches that, I, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to call anybody out, okay? So don't take this the wrong way. But any church that replaces the Word of God with entertainment, with storybook sermons, with music programs, with youth functions and pop psychology, they're going to find out that the, the conscience never has the ability to convict and transform the heart. Because if, I'm always, if it's always about, you know, making me feel good or, you know, feeling okay after I leave church, that's probably not the best church for me to be a part of. I'm just going to go slow here for just a moment. If I go to a church like that, my conscience is going to be full of ideas and thoughts that are not godly and not conducive to what the Spirit is trying to say to the church. It's an unholy place. Even though it, it on the outside says church or, or says a denomination, if it's a church that ignores the Word of God, and doesn't call sin, sin, and, and basically acts like, well, you know, everything is okay, it's, it's going to be all right. Let me just put it in, in very simple terms. Self-help and counseling can never fix what the Word and the Spirit call us to do because they are opposite. The Scripture says they are in opposition one to another. They are in hatred one toward another. They cannot come together. It's just never going to work. There are two ways that we kill our conscience. Um, if you think about it, the conscience is kind of like a square peg. It's like a sharp square peg in our hearts. And if we're confronted by a questionable situation, that square begins to turn. And its corners start to cut into our hearts, warning us with that inward sensation against doing whatever confronts us. We, we're, we're right in the situation. We got that oh, this isn't right, this isn't right, and we know it's not right. 
And if the conscience is ignored time after time after time, then the corners of that square originally, that, that were originally there, they get gradually worn down. And it virtually becomes a circle. And when a circle turns within our hearts, there's no inner sensation of warning and we're left without conscience. There's no pricking anymore. There's no convicting. It's just, it's okay. No big deal. And that's why you say, how can they go, how could they have gone so far? Because they just kept ignoring their conscience until it just didn't hurt anymore. But there's two ways I think that uh, we can make sure that our conscience will no longer work in our heart. And the first is to misinform it. Misinform it. Just twist and pervert moral law until there are no standards of righteousness anymore. Take a poll and find out who the cultural heroes are in our world. and That'll kind of give you an idea of where our nation's going. We exalt people that, wow, they're so out of touch with the Scripture. And, and we act like they're just wonderful. They're awesome. And that's where our nation's headed. You can misinform your conscience. And the second way that you kill it is by silencing it. You kind of do what the pilots on the airliner did. You turn off the warning system. Erase the guilt. <laughs> ah, I just made a mistake, no big deal. I'll get through it. The world has continually said, even before the times of, uh, of Sigmund Freud, to just get rid of the guilt. It's just a matter of low self-esteem. You're just feeling bad about yourself. You feel bad about yourself for a reason. The reason you're feeling bad is because you're not living up to that call to holiness that God has called you to. So don't silence that. You need to pray, God, what do I need to do to be pleasing to you? God, what, what things in me need to change? On the inside, I'm not talking about the outside. On the inside of me, what things do I think are okay that are really not okay with you? What things have I excused and said they're all right? What, what things, don't silence it, kind of lean into that warning. Well, what is it? What is it that I need to check out? Because the warning light's going off, the, the, the horn's sounding, the red light's flashing, and, and if you just say, ah, it's not there, it, it doesn't make it go away. Paul talked about the conscience that could become wounded, defiled, evil, and seared. But as, as, as people of God, we shouldn't allow ourselves to get to that position. We need to respond to the feelings that God places in our heart. This is how God calls us to do uh, what we need to do about our sin. I, I don't know about you, and maybe you're, maybe, I know it's quiet tonight, maybe you're just thinking about what I'm saying, but guilt and remorse, that's, that's kind of the ways that the Lord is working with our conscience. If you don't feel guilty, and you know what you've done is wrong, but you don't feel guilty about it. Your conscience is a mess. God may be trying to afflict you. Think about it. God may be trying to afflict you. What, what, why would God afflict me? To bring me back to Him. Why would God allow me to feel so bad? Because He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to be concerned about the things that matter, not the things that are going to destroy you. So, the Lord is working with my conscience. He's, he's stirring it. He's tilling it. He's bringing it up and dealing with me. Well, that's a good thing. That doesn't happen as much if I miss a lot of church. It doesn't happen if I am not praying, if I'm not 
into the Word of God. It doesn't happen if I'm hanging out with the wrong people and not the right people. So what is an awakened conscience then? There's going to come a day, I believe, and, and I'm, I think the Scripture bears this out, when the conscience in the end will turn on the sinner with a vengeance. When is this going to take place? In hell. That's what the Bible says. Oh, we don't like to talk about that, Pastor. Can we just talk about something else now? No, this is where they are weeping and gnashing their teeth. It will become the chief tormentor of those who are damned. It will not be misinformed. It will not be silent. It will remind them forever and ever. They are responsible for the torment they are suffering. Pastor, why do you get so serious about this stuff? Because it's serious. I, I mean, I, I would love to just joke and laugh, but this is serious. I'm, I'm trying to tell you now that someday, if you don't listen now, someday your conscience is going to torment you. John Flavel said, conscience which should have been the soul's curb here on earth becomes the whip which must lash his soul in hell. Neither is there any faculty or power belonging to the soul of man fit and so able to do as his own conscience. That which was the seat and center of all guilt now becomes the seat and center of all torment. No rest, no peace, just weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Conscience will forever make the sinner admit the truth of every charge it brings and the justice of every pain he suffers. But there's a better way. There's a better way. Consider the reward of those who have been redeemed and their conscience has been stirred by God. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The conscience can be sanitized by the power of God. Amen? 2 Corinthians 1.12, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. Paul, if you look at this uh, scripture here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is going to his own defense. Paul doesn't, he, he doesn't do this a whole lot, but, but in this, uh, this 2 Corinthians text here, there are people that are, are coming against Paul. There's a group of false teachers. They had come in. They were trying to replace Paul. Okay, To do this, they had to tear Paul down. They had to make him look bad. They, they, they uh, you know, were trying to get rid of him. And so uh, because he's the reigning teacher and pastor who's leading the people uh, toward godliness, towards righteousness, towards holiness, they become very deadly in their attack. They basically come against him, say he's a thief, he's a huckster, he's uh, just deceiving them, and, and all kinds of accusations that they throw against him. And as hard as it is to defend himself, Paul says this, and this is the, the powerful uh, statement that we get in, in 112. He says, our confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. 
the testimony of our conscience. Now, I want you to get that. He's saying, I may not be able to prove anything, but I know what my conscience says. I, I may not be able to, to display everything that they're saying is wrong, but I can tell you I know where I stand with God. So my question to you tonight as I close is this. What is your conscience saying right now? Pastor, I don't, I don't really like to think about this kind of stuff. I'd really, I mean, I just want you to teach me what the Bible says. And, you know, this is midweek Bible study. and we've, we've given you a lot of scriptures. This is what the Bible says. But I don't want to be so serious. Well, I, I don't like to always be serious, super serious either. But this is one of those, this is one of those uh, what we call heaven or hell topics. I can, I can tell you about faith and uh, what God can do and His blessings. I can tell you about all that stuff, but, but really, if we're lying to our conscience, if we're silencing our conscience, if we're putting our conscience aside, um, we're going to miss out on God's call to holiness in our lives. What is your conscience saying to you right now? Are there things in your life that as we brought up the topic of our conscience tonight, you, you realize maybe there's some, some sharp edges that have worn off because you've ignored them for too long. There's been some things maybe that you should have listened to and you, you thought, well, it's not that big a deal. It's not going to make that much difference. And, and, and here's the worst one of all. I hate this one. I really hate this one. Well, so-and-so at this other church. You know, they live like that and they seem to be okay. But you're in your heart, in your conscience, you know. God's dealt with me about this. I know this is wrong. Well, well, so and so over here. And so we we look to ways to justify our sin. We look to ways to justify our lack of holiness because, well, if so and so over here is doing it, then it must be okay. And deep in our heart, we already know, no, it's not. God's already dealt with me about it. What is your conscience saying right now? What is it telling you? Warning. Warning. Obstacle ahead. Disaster is coming. Sometimes God will speak to us through our friends, through our family. He'll speak to us through other people in the church. Uh, sometimes, believe it or not, I mean, if you actually give God a chance, He actually can speak to you through the pastor. I know you probably, it's hard to believe, novel idea, but every once in a while, on a really good day, It's so funny. I mean, it, it is funny. Like, we're laughing because it's funny. Because so many people, like, when I grew up, if my pastor said, hey, you know, this is, this is right, this is wrong, this is the way we need to live, man, we were like, okay, that's right. That's what the Bible says. We'd, we'd see it in the Bible. That's what the Bible says. Now people are just like, well, maybe that's just a suggestion. You know, maybe, that, maybe that's just pastor's interpretation of it. Right? Not realizing the pastor's the watchman on the wall saying, hey, this is what the scripture says. Don't be lost. <laughs> What's your conscience saying to you? Is it saying there are things in your life that are headed the wrong direction? The flight path needs to be changed. 
If it is, please don't turn off the warning. Don't turn off the warning. So many times pastor uh, has said things and people have come back and have told me later, you tried to tell me. You tried to warn me. I wish I would have listened to you. I mean, I'm not, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to close with this. I am not a, I don't think of myself as a prophetic person, okay? Like, you know, a prophet who everything I say just, just comes to pass. I don't think of myself that way. But I do feel like God has put me in a position, in a situation with most of uh, the people who come here on a regular basis that if you will give me a chance and I speak into your life, God will honor what, what, whatever it is that comes out of my mouth. And so if, I'm, if I subtly or very directly warn you or tell you, hey, maybe this is the wrong direction, or somebody in your family or somebody close to you says, are you sure about that? And in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, you know there's a check. I really want this, but there might be something that I need to really, I need to really pray about this. Why? Because if it's something that's pulling you further away from God and not pulling you closer to Him, your conscience should be saying, warning, warning, hey, check, check, there's, there, something's wrong in the flight path here. What is your conscience saying to you tonight? What will your conscience say to you on the day of judgment? You can glory in a life of holiness. That's what brings God glory. That's where He gets the most pleasure from our lives. God's call to holiness leads us to a clear conscience. That's why Paul could say, I have... I don't stress about this because I have the testimony of our conscience. I, I know where I stand. But if your conscience isn't clear, then that's where we need to make some changes. That's where things need to be changed tonight. The highest human court is that which is in the confines of the human conscience. The battle can only be won by the grace of God in our conscience. We, we can't do it alone. Acts 23, 1, he said, I have lived in a good conscience. Acts 24, 16, he says, my conscience is clear toward man and God. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 3, he said, I will serve with a pure conscience. Do you know that if you're here tonight and you're hearing me, every one of us have the ability to say that. I'll serve him with a pure conscience. I'll live with a clean conscience. I'll live with my conscience clear before God. When sin is mortified and our evil desires that are in our, our flesh are put to death, our conscience is satisfied. When we know we have listened to the Spirit of God that's at work in our life and we know that we have lined our life up with the Scripture, our conscience, we can be in the middle of a storm. We can be in the middle of a trial. Everything around us can be falling apart and going wrong. And you'll just lay your head on the pillow at night and go to sleep. Because your conscience is clear. As you stand tonight, I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know 
exactly how this is going to speak to you. But I believe that each and every one of us that's here tonight, if there's something that's on our conscience and our conscience isn't clear, I think it would be all right if before we leave, we just take some time to say, God, I want to I move toward holiness. I want to move toward pleasing you in every aspect of my life. If there's a, where, if there's a place that my conscience is, is convicting me and telling me, this isn't right, this isn't pleasing God, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to start listening to what you've placed in my conscience, and I'm, I'm going to follow it. And God, I want to please you. I want to respond to a call to holiness tonight. This altar's open. Take some time wherever you are. Just take some time, and let's, let's talk to God. Amen. Let's clear our consciences tonight.